Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 27, 2014. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading Bill's story found on page one and beginning with the words war fever at the top of the page. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Nancy O. 12 Traditions, Joanne L. Our readers will be Chelsea H., Rakefit Z., and Renata. To share I, the share ID for Sunday, October 26th, is 6984. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy O to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. It's Nancy O, gratefully recovered in Ohio, the 12 steps. One, common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Ovaries Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name not ever, ought ever be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. 
Thank you so much, Nancy O. I will now ask Joanne L. to read the 12 traditions. I want to unmute. Can Joanne. I turn? Joanne? Hello? Yes, I'm here. Uh, good morning, Sally and everyone. Thank you for your service. Um, the 12 traditions. One, OA common... Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, OA group, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OA Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Joanne. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing on the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page one at the top of the page, beginning with War Fever. I will ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Chelsea. Okay, Chelsea may be having trouble muting this morning. 
Well, check it. Are you? I there? was having trouble unmuting Sally. Oh. Okay, thank you for your service. Good morning, visionaries. This is Chelsea H., recovered compulsive overeater for today. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And I'm still Chelsea, still recovered for today. So it is very exciting that I get to be (laughs) the one that I'm so grateful to start Bill's story and start us off here today. Um, I was really looking forward to it. So now we're getting ready to get into the progression of the disease and how it is so um, insidious and sneaks up on us so quickly that we don't even know until we're so far into it what's going on. So he started out here um, in training. They left training from Plattsburgh, and they went over to this New England town, and the residents there, they were heading out to war. And it was an exciting time for them. to. They felt wanted, needed, cared for. I had I identified him with this as when I first went to Broadway. When I first hit Broadway, I felt special. And when my first audition went so well, I felt I had arrived. I felt I was part of the life that I was looking for at last. I failed to heed the warnings of compulsive overeating when I discovered bulimia. I failed to heed, heed the warnings of drinking when I consumed untold sums of liquor and purged when I ate untold amounts of food, but I had to keep my weight down if I was going to get any parts because you couldn't be overweight and get any kind of parts in a play unless you were, for me, what it ended up turning out to be, the gospel singer or else the mother. You got delegated to those roles. So I forgot all the warnings about the different things that can happen. I didn't pay it any mind because I thought I had arrived. For me, it was the most fabulous, tingling time. But after a period of time, I got lonely. The bulimia wasn't working anymore. I wasn't able to keep up with any of the falsehoods that I was doing. I wasn't practicing. I wasn't doing any of the training required. I thought that I was going to be really great because I could sing, I could dance, and I could act. I was a triple threat, but that meant nothing. Food meant more to me. And I thought I had arrived and would be able to take care of it when I discovered a way that I thought I could sneak and eat all the things I want and never suffer the repercussions. I failed to read, to um, heed the warnings of a family of people who um, are compulsive overeaters and alcoholics. I failed to heed the warnings of the many people I saw sitting around the Sunday dinner table, so obese, some of them even with oxygen tanks sitting beside them for the various physical conditions that have come up as a result of compulsive overeating or just huge sums of food. Sundays was the time for banquet meals, huge sums of food, liquor, untold. But I failed to heed those warnings. And I, too, later discovered alcohol, food, and every time I got lonely, I turned to it for ease and comfort. Because once I had gotten that tingle, once I had gotten that effect, I kept chasing it again and again, and every time I got lonely, every time I felt as though I hadn't been a part of life, 
was when I would turn to food for ease and comfort. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally, for your service. Thank you, for your service. I heard you, Sue. Is there anyone else who would like to share what was read after Sue? I'd like to share. This is Vasa. Okay, Vasa. Is that Sue G? Um, no, Sue V, like Victor, from Connecticut. Sue V. Okay, Sue V. Go ahead, and Vasa, you'll be right after Sue. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Sue, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Connecticut. I'm actually on the road, so I hope the road sounds don't come through. Um, boy, what a great place to be listening. Um, you know, I thought I thought about that whole idea where he talks about here with love and applause, and uh, of course I don't have my book in front of me, but boy, I tell you, when I my home life was, I felt so strange and um, fearful and uncomfortable and unsure of myself, and you know, there were so many things in my home. And then when I discovered, you know, the effect, the effect that that first bite or drink gave me, boy, I'll tell you, that really, um, that felt like empowering. It felt empowering. And, um, you know, I felt like, wow, yeah, life is good. This is good. And I had no clue about anything else. You know, I didn't know any better, of course. What did I know? I just know I felt like I fit in. That first, that first uh, experience with overindulging in food, you know, for that effect, really was powerful for me. And um, and what did I know? So um, very, very grateful to be on the uh, recovered side of this crazy, crazy disease. So thanks, everybody. Shall I press star one? Oops. I'm sorry. I thought I was muted. I thought I wasn't muted. Vasa? Thank you, Mel. This is Vasa. Am I on? Yes, you are. Go ahead. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for your service, and I'm grateful to be here this morning with all of you. And I am um, Vasa, Recovered Compulsive Ovida calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I remember reading this story about Bill's story. We all have our own stories, our own unique stories. But I could identify with him, even though I was not an alcoholic, I could identify with the food. I believe I was probably compulsive. I was probably born compulsive overeater. But I was born in a country where there was not as much food available but I remember the sugars every once in a while when I got candy. I remember stealing money from my father's little jar and going and buying candy. A few times it made me so sick, and no matter how sick I got, I still wanted more, and I'd go more and get more. It was insane. got me sick. But my disease didn't bloom until – I didn't. it didn't bloom out till I came – we came to America. I remember my aunt took a shopping, stop and shop in those days. I just celebrated 28th anniversary in OA, October 26th, and I don't take any credit. God is, do, you know, I thank God for it, and he, he's doing for me that I couldn't do for myself. But anyways, going back 
like uh, at that time, I was like 15 years old, I believe, and she took us to shop and shop, and she told us, my brother, my younger brother and me, just to put in the wagon whatever we wanted to put in there. It was just amazing. We just, you know, she gave us that permission, so we, so we kept on putting all that stuff. And I gained 20 pounds in one month, and I will never forget the effect, the effect, the high, I'll just wrap it up, the high of uh, indulging in that food, and it became progressively worse. I could not stop. I tried for many years. I'm so grateful to be here at this meeting and to share my experience and strength and hope, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Would anyone I'm else like to this is Paula. This is Anne Marie. Charles, then Paula, then Anne Marie. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Charles. Thank you. Um, good morning, visionaries. My name is Charles. I eat too much of recovered compulsive over here. I hear some um, background noise. I don't know if it's part of the system or moderator. Could you regulate that for me, please? Okay, thank you. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Charles. I eat too much of a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, can I be heard properly? Or Yes, Charles, we hear you. Go right ahead. All right, thank you. Um, there's some good stuff in here. Uh, yeah. Um, before I even jump on this, you know, I, my sponsor told me, you know, there's two things that can happen when you uh, come from a convention. You can either, your recovery could get skyrocketed or you could plummet because you're going to come down. I tell you, I was intoxicated all, when I say intoxicated, I'm talking about high with recovery. I was on a mountaintop, like we're going to learn, you know, I had a mountaintop experience. But anyway, I want to drill down and here was love, applause, and war. Uh, you know, I could relate to the war in my in my food, uh, in my food, in my food life, I was engulfed in a lot of war, and then, and then, um, in the midst of excitement, I discovered food. I forgot. I didn't even forget. I, I, I didn't care about the warnings. I didn't care how strong they were. I was engulfed in war. You know, and thank God, you know, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Thank God for the visionaries. We represented up there, and I met a lot. I put a lot of faces to the voices up there at Region 6. It was unbelievable. And we fanned the flame because there were some young people that were like, what's vision for you? And we got numbers. And, and that's what it is, man. And you know what? That That is the love and the applause piece in recovery. The war was when, when I was in my food obsession. But the love and the applause, well, especially the love. The love is we get to fan the flame of our vision for you. We get to fan the flame. And I'm going to close with this because I, I never like to get to this reason anymore. Um, the prescription, right? The, prescript, the prescription is the first 164 pages, the solution, the prescription, whatever you want to call it. For me, everything before Bill's story is the pen and the paper that the doctor prescribe a prescription with. It's the engine of the car. And with that, I'm going to pass. My name is Charles. I eat too much of a recovered compulsive over here. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you so much, Charles. And Paula D.
your turn, Paula. Ooh. Hello. First, thank you for your service, Sally, and this is Paula. And I am a compulsive reader today, recovered and grateful. And I want to hover around a line here in a word. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime, with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And the word that I would like to hover over would be sublime. And what does sublime mean? High in place or excellence. Affecting the mind with a sense of grandeur, noble, majestic. Now there he was. And there in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. And then I want to scoot on down to another line. In time we sailed over there, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Do you see what happened here as we look? What encompassed his life? What became his life? Whether he was in a high place or a low place, it'll meet you wherever you are. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Anne-Marie. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. And this was one of the chapters. Well, when I first came into recovery, I looked through the steps, and I picked and choose which ones would apply to me. Um, you know, of course, step eight and nine didn't, and I didn't hurt anyone. So I, I know I knew I could skip those two, and there were a few other steps that I could um, skip over. But this story, you know, I read read probably the first maybe maybe two pages at the most, and I thought, how am I ever going to re- relate to a man who um, dealt with the stock market, who was a lawyer who dealt with the stock market so far from me. And, um, oh, my God, goodness, when I really got introduced to the big book and started studying it and learning it, I realized how much in common I have. I stopped comparing and I began identifying. And the one sentence that I identified was, I was very lonely and again, turned to alcohol. And I remember as a little girl, I was around eight years old and feeling lonely. No one else was in the house. My dad was outside and that loneliness. And I had a couple of cookies. And the taste of them, I don't remember. But the feeling of being comforted by those cookies, I remember so clearly. But I needed more. You know, two just didn't do it. One didn't do it. Two wasn't enough. And the, the the whole sleeve. And I learned at that time how to arrange the cookies in the sleeve so that no one would think that the cookies were gone. And um, But I just remember the lonely, you know, the loneliness was gone. You know, I mean, that 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 it just was so comforting to me. That's the only word, you know, the, the best word I can describe of how, um, turning to food helped me was the comfort. And then as I learned to read through the rest of those stories, as we will, um, I could see how I just followed along, not um, comparing, but identifying to the feelings and the thoughts. So thank you so much. Glad we're here. Thank you, Emily. We're glad you're here too. Um, anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? 
Okay, we're Kefit. Please read for us. We landed in England. We're Kefit Z. For Kefit? Yes. Oh, my. I can hear you in a very far, far, far way. Okay. Shelly, do you hear me? I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. I had trouble. Sorry about that. We had it in English. I think it's a good sister procedural. Wait a minute. There's an awful lot of noise coming with with your reading. Is there any way you can clear that up before you go forward, please? See, let me see. Uh, Maybe take something off a headphone or something. Okay, is that better? No, it's very noisy, Rakesh. Is that better? No, you're. Every time you speak, we're hearing a lot of noise. We might have to back in. Okay. Is that better? No. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rakesha. Try that. Okay. We landed in England. I visited Worcester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on the old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is near forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home to last. I fancied myself a leader, but had not submitted my battery, giving me a sweet, a special token of appreciation. My talent for the leadership, the leadership I imagined. I can't understand the speaker. What's up? I'm, I'm listening to her. I can hear her. Hmm. Just okay. finish up. Go ahead. Catherine, my talent. My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. Um, well, there's a couple of things that, that struck me in this in these two paragraphs. The first one was much moved. He was much moved when he went to Winchester Cathedral. And in the coming pages, we're going to learn a lot more about Bill's life. And we'll see that he scoffed at religion. He was not religious at all, and he scoffed at it from, from the way he, um, from his family background. But much moved, this is the first place we see in, this, in the book that there was something inside of him. And this reminds me of the passage on page 55, which is one of my favorites. Deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. And that was so true for me, too. I came into OA not having any God in my life. But I, there were times when I felt something inside me. I did feel that there was something more than just the material world. And here is when uh, Bill feels the same way. For a moment, for probably a passing moment. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was in the second paragraph, uh, he we get an um, idea here of ego, Bill's ego. He was very, very egotistical, as we know. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. So he believed that he was unstoppable. He was, he could do anything he wanted in his life. He was just unstoppable. And sure, that's why he could never imagine that. Oh, that's a clear answer. 
I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Rick Effett, but it's increasingly difficult to un- to hear what you're saying, so I'm going to have to interrupt okay. you at this point. Thank you, so Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Would anyone no. like to share what was read? Yes, this is Patty. Patty, did you say Patty? Yes. Okay. Is there anyone else after Patty? Okay, Patty, go ahead. Yes, hi, my name is Patty. I am a compulsive recovered overeater from California. And thank you so much for your service, Sally. I love this uh, paragraph. He does mention Winchester Cathedral here and how he was much moved by it. And he mentions it three other times in the story. He mentions that moment in Winchester Cathedral uh, three, three times total. And so that must have really made a big, big impact on him. And um, this was a man who really had no religion, no, you know, he thought he was it. He was, you know, the stars rose, shined, and and fell on him, Uh, you know, and he thought he had to make his way. He had no higher power. And uh, he was also, as Rekhefeta pointed out, very egotistical, um, as we go through his, his story, we'll see many, many, many parts that he was just so full of himself, thought he was going to be the head of vast enterprises, and, you know, he would show the world, and even when he was drunk and wobbling from the hotel to see the clicker, uh, he, you know, he was, he got that fierce old determination to win, you know, and, um so this is a man who, although he already is having a slight problem with alcohol, is just so full of himself. And even near the end, you know, he, he has a crushing blow because he starts to see that he isn't all it. Um, I just, I love this story because this was me. I thought when I found food and when I found alcohol that I had arrived, that I knew it all. No one could tell me I was going to make it, and all I did was fall flat on my face like Bill. And um, that's all I wanted to say, but that Winchester Cathedral is very, very important to him. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Patty. I'm going to jump in here really quickly. It's Sally A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey. And um, yes, this is a very this is a very profound story that we're reading and uh, certainly has had marked um, impact on my life. I want to start um, just, just by sneaking into that paragraph prior to this sentence about Winchester Cathedral and just say this this particular sentence that says, I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time we sailed for over there. I just love that. This is a song that was, was just um, in the air at that time. It's a song that uh, was written by George Cohan, Over There over there and um, of course that fabulous movie with James Cagney really uh, highlights that song and I really believe that that's why he put that in quotes and why it's written the way it's written and um, I love the way this man writes he just really speaks to my soul he goes on to say we landed in England I visited Winchester Cathedral and as was shared this is very profound and it's a thread that's beginning here at the beginning of the chapter 
I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved. Something happened to Bill in Winchester Cathedral. And we're going to see that on page 10. He talks about Winchester Cathedral right smack in the middle of the page on the second paragraph, that wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. And then on page 12, the bottom of the page, the last paragraph, the real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. And I won't go on, but these are some some really important pages to look at. And so when he says, much moved, I wandered outside. And and the important thing about the fact that it's here at the beginning of the book is that when, when Ebby comes to see him later and he has that knee-jerk, prejudiced re, uh, reaction to his words, I've got religion, however he said that, and then his reaction coming back was, I was aghast, and yet here we see on page one of his story, something happened long before he was aghast. And he was much moved in Winchester Cathedral. And going on to the doggerel, it's just a precious thing that God really met him. God met him at this place in this time with a warning, whether he dieth by musket or by pot, ominous warning. It's as if he walked outside and God led him to this place to read this and to be warned of what was coming. And yet he did not heed the warning. A, a ominous warning which I failed to heed. With that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share on this, on this paragraph, on these pages, on this page rather? Me, Sarah. I heard you, Sarah. But there's someone else right before you. Who is this? Sue G. Sue G. Good morning. And then Sarah. Is there anyone else? Renata. Renata. Okay, Sue G. Go ahead. Oh, hello. Thanks for your service, Sally. And uh, hello to fellow visionaries and healers, helpers, whoever we are, um, reading this wonderful book. I'm a recovered person in greater Philadelphia. And um, what's, I, I want to take it from the sublime to the ridiculous. The sublime is all of these God connections that are, that are referred to here, which is beautiful, and many have been cited. The ridiculous is the the extremes here that that um, there I was very lonely and again turns to alcohol in the previous paragraph and then then comes this this shock of recognition of something he doesn't know what he recognizes but he something got his attention and and he saw this doggerel in an old tombstone and it, it reminds me of an experience I had when I was 15 and I went to Europe with my family and we went to all these cathedrals. And and my my mother, the Jewish maven, was talking Latin from girls' Latin school to a priest at a cathedral, and because that was the only common language they had, it was a riot, and that was spectacular. And I didn't know what it was. I can articulate it much better now than I could then. But it was something divine in my ridiculous day of oh, do we have to walk through another place like this? That there was the divine happening in an excuse my teeth at all from that talk. But what what strikes me in that in those paragraphs is how the extremes the extremes are there. The extreme of the the alcoholic who has to in his loneliness, he can't accept his loneliness and come out somewhere in the middle with it. He has to drink when he feels lonely. And and 
his excitement about the love, the applause, war, moments, the blind, blah, blah, that's youth. He's young, and he's away from home for the first time, and he can't put it together. He's too young, and he's too alcoholic to put it together. So that that's my little uh, contribution for today. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, Suji. Sarah, that's Sarah W.? Yes, it is. Hi, Sally. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovery mm-hmm. Compulsive Reader. Um, thank you for your service today. Um, I, I love Bill's story, and um, I, I, you know, I think about the idea of, you know, as an addict, um, you know, the comparison between, you know, he's such an egomaniac, but he's got, you know, such an inferiority complex, which comes out and you know, he wants others to adulate him, you know, to give him his sense of self. And that was such a part of where I came from in my disease. And, um, you know, he's so fear-based, uh, which also I think is such a huge part of our disease too. But I wrote in that column uh, next to it, I said, our problem is faulty dependence for stability and security. And I think that that is such a huge part of it um, that, you know, for some reason, I'm always looking um, for something to to enable me to walk through things. And, you know, food food, uh, was so primal for me. It was so early on that I started using it in such a sick way. Uh, in such an unhealthy way, not just to nourish my body. And, um, you know, the idea, uh, you know, of what he's talking about a lot in this is, um, you know, first of all, he's very rebellious. You know, ominous warning, which I failed to heed. You know, he's going to do what he wants to do no matter what's happening. And the the fact that, you know, food does become, uh, you know, for me it became my lover. You know, it was my friend. It was my, you know, that faulty thought in my mind that this was going to, um, this was uh, something that was helping me that was, um, a security, and it, it never offered me. And and the idea that, you know, not being comfortable in my own skin no matter what, you know, uh, you know, no matter what I do, you know, if I, if I think I'm the best or if I think I'm the least, both of those scenarios allow me to feel like I'm not part of the human race. So I separate myself from humanity in, in this uh, in, insecurity or in this over ego, um, you know, way that I go about my life, and so I never have, you know, relationships. I don't have, you know, I, I'm I'm alone. I'm alone because I can't connect with people um, eye to eye, and uh, you know, the idea of being the ego, having the ego maniac, uh, and then having the inferiority complex is so much a part of of this. Um, I'm grateful to be uh, abstinent and sober today and uh, to have this beautiful way of life that we get to live. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah W. Renata, it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata, Recovered Compulsive Rate in New York. Um, just very briefly, uh, what these paragraphs say to me is that when Bill went to the Winchester Cathedral, um, his higher power tried to, you know, like was said before, give him warning, right? Like a glimpse of his future. 
But Bill was blocked. Bill, you know, didn't know of the program of recovery. He hasn't gone through the steps yet. And he was so much himself that, you know, that intuition, that intuitive thought that comes with, you know, being recovered, uh, that God consciousness, like he, he didn't have that yet. And so he couldn't see the signs. His, you know, to me what it says is that he's, he's blocked. He's blocked up his higher power. He's out, his higher power is there and wants to help. But, you know, like for me, my higher power has always been with me. But if I don't get unblocked until I, you know, went through the 12 steps, I did not have access to, to, to that power, to that intuition. And uh, that's all I want to share. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Renata. Would anyone else like to share on what was read this morning? This is Carolyn. I think I heard Kim. This is Michelle. I could share. This is Larry. Whoops. Okay, we're going to back this up a little bit. Kim, did I hear you? Yes. Okay, and Carolyn. I heard Marilyn, did I hear? Carolyn. Oh, Carolyn. I'm so sorry. Carolyn, okay. I heard... I heard Larry. Is there someone else I heard? Rochelle. Rochelle or was that Rochelle? Yeah. Okay. Was there anyone else? Oh, okay. Kim, Carolyn, Larry, and Rochelle, and that probably will take us to the end. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader from South Jersey. And as we enter into this story, you know, I, it is a story, but to me it really is a text example of the progression of the illness. You know, why is this story in here? Because when this book was published in 1939, there, the assumption was they were going to mail this book out to someone across the country who would not have access to recovered people. So this is the 12-step call. This is a 12-step call that these people in Akron and, and New York would make face-to-face. So what is it trying to teach us? It's trying to teach us about what the disease looks like because we got the diagnosis in the doctor's opinion. And now that we know that our problem is not food and weight, our problem is we have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind. But how does that look in a human being? How does that manifest in someone's life? So what I often instruct people to do is forget this is a guy Forget this is the 1930s. Forget we're talking about World War One. Forget we're talking about a stockbroker. Do you identify in with the progression of the illness? Ask yourself three questions. Did I eat like that? Did I think like that? And did I feel like that? Because if we can identify in with that, then we have this disease. And the way that the story is broken down is pages one through eight is step one. It's his progression to the madness of the illness. Pages 8 through 12 is his struggle with step 2. What is blocking him from the idea of needing a higher power? And then page 13 and 14, you're going to see him take the rest of the steps. And I have to tell you, that's kind of my experience. The biggest problem I had was my resistance to steps 1 and 2, coming to the conclusion that I truly am a compulsive overeater, that I'm then I am, I want to think I was different. I'm different than the alcoholic and I'm different than the people in the rooms because that way I don't have to do the work that is required for these steps. And my resistance to needing a power was I thought I controlled everything. I am the power. How can I think of, put my, put my trust in a God when I think I am God? 
And we're going to see in these eight pages how that progression works. It's going to go from fun and excitement, dancing in the jazz clubs, going to the country clubs, to necessity, where now he's not drinking for enjoyment, he's drinking because he has to, and then finally oblivion. And I know for myself, those last couple, last couple months before I came into OA, and then as I, every time I went into relapse, was I would only get to the point that the food could make me numb. That was the best that I could hope for, was oblivion and numb. So as we go through this, this text, let's remember the textbook. Can we identify him with this disease? Because if we can, if we suffer from alcoholism the way that these both suffered and the way that this book describes, then only a spiritual solution will work for us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Thank you so much. Carolyn, you're up. Carolyn? Okay, Larry, we'll come back to Carolyn. Larry, go ahead. Can you hear me? Hey, Sally, I'm here. Okay, Carolyn, go ahead. I'm sorry, Larry. I just heard Carolyn come in. Thank you. You know, um, what sucks out at me every time I read this is doggerel. And the the true definition of doggerel is poetry that is poorly written and that often is not meant to be taken seriously. But so many times, things said in jest have so much truth in it. And that's what I have to look at. When somebody says something to me in jest, I have to stop and look at it and say to myself, okay, why are they saying this to me and what about me do I have to look at to fix this? Because, you know, that is how I lived my life. I lived in such insanity. My grandfather used to say I'd rather clothe her than feed her and I used to think that was funny. And when I got older and I came into recovery, I realized that that really wasn't funny. He was referring to the way I was eating. I was a compulsive overeater forever. And he knew it. He didn't know what I was, but he knew that I didn't eat like normal people. And my grandfather was not a small man either. I was his eating buddy. We ate together. And this whole thing, I I just absolutely love that tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. So, you know, the guy drank himself to death, drank himself to death. How do you want to die? Do you want to die clean and happy, or do you want to die in your disease and miserable? For me, it's so much. I have to pay attention to the little details today. But the problem was, when I was into the food, I didn't realize messages like this were trying to tap into my subconscious, were God's way of telling me, pay attention to what you're doing in your life because you're destroying it. I want you to stop now. But I didn't hear those little messages because I didn't feel worthy of the love of God. Today, I am truly worthy of his love no matter what I do or say. And I just pick myself up, dust myself off, and move back on. But I stop and listen to everything somebody says in jest. 
because those words have some truth in it, have lots of truth in it, even if it's said with a laugh, lots of truth in it, so I pay attention to see where I'm still broken and where I can still be fixed. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. And Larry, go ahead, Larry. Sorry for the confusion. Oh, that's all right, Sally. Thank you for your service. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Larry Kay. Um, so this uh, this chapter, Bill's story, you know, why is that? You know, we hear oftentimes um, that the practical program of action is found in the first 164 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? We hear that. And then I hear that, and then I read about this story in Winchester Cathedral and all these things that I, because I was not born, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, and, um, and I, I might not relate to some of these things. And this is a story. It almost reads like uh, fiction. But the reason why it's part of the practical program of action for me is it comes down to that, you know, Bill's story illustrates it's necessary for me that it illustrates the progression of alcoholism, the progression of the disease. And I need to know what I'm up against because I need to identify. Identification, that's been mentioned a few times, and it's right on the nail. This, this, um, this story is about identification. We, we hear, what does the story of a man in the 1930s have to do with me? Well, you know, I can say I'm nothing like this guy. But this story illustrates the progression. It has its beginnings. I had my beginnings. You had your beginnings. It then gets into the progression. You know, we're going to hear about the progression. And we're going to hear a lot about Bill's attempts to control the progression, just as we all tried to control it. And some of us are still trying to control it. And then we're going to read about <clears throat> Bill's alcoholic destruction. You may be still writing your story. You may come to learn about the destruction of compulsive overeating. I hope, you know, pray that you don't. But then we hear in Bill's story about the solution. And thank God there's a solution. Thank God for me there was a solution. And that's, that's why this Bill's story is, has become so beautiful for me because I read it today and yes, I identify in completely. Doesn't matter if the details are different. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're at a different time, a different era, a different technology, all these things. But I can relate to someone who had a beginning and thought I, I, I had the world by the you-know-what. And then the disease progressed. I attempted to control it in so many different ways, and then it brought me down to my knees and beat me into a state of reasonableness until nobody could, could convince me that um, I would pick up the spiritual toolkit. The disease convinced me. So with, um, I, I'm so grateful for, uh, for Bill's story, and I read it differently today than I did before. I just wanted to get to how it works before. <laughs> I wanted the cliff notes, you know. I wanted, to, I wanted to cut corners. Not anymore. I need the whole deal. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Larry. Rochelle. Good morning. This is Ro- Rochelle, recovered food addict in Baltimore. Um, I am just... I am just agog with this story because even though this is the second time I've been going through with Vision for You of this, it just so resonates with me this morning. It's like, oh, my goodness, there's my life. No, I was not a soldier during World War One, and um, but I guess I'm a soldier now because I'm going through my life trying to do a 
to service and trying to connect with my higher power on a daily basis. But at that time, this to me was my youth. This is when, um, oh my goodness, uh, I I, uh, I surprised everyone when I was in college and I applied to a second college and I was accepted with a full scholarship at one of the best schools in the country. And, um, and while I was there, uh, someone from uh, another school saw something that I had done, a chairman of the department of something, and uh, and he told the chairman of the department in his school that they wanted me for something that they were doing, and, and I just completely fell on my face. I was just so filled with ego that, oh, wow, I'm so being distinguished. Here I am, a first-year student, and they want me, you know, so I was supposed to set up something, and... Uh, I just failed, and uh, it was uh, so resounding because it was so embarrassing. And and here I was elevated to this point, and and then bam, bam came down with a, uh, you know. So it's it's just the ego was there. The ego was boy was it booming, and um, it's taken me years to get over that. But thank God I have, and uh, and I'm in recovery, and I am so delighted. I've had a spiritual change. I don't have to be lying in that, uh, like that Hampshire grenadier. And, uh, and I've got, I still have my, most of my life ahead of me. I sure hope so. And, uh, and today I live my life hopefully with humility and, uh, just try to be of service to other people. So, um, I really resonate with the story and, uh, oh my goodness. Oh, with that I pass. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this meeting. Okay. Thank you so much, Rochelle. I'm going to go ahead and bring us to the end of our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Renata, will you please read for us page 164 in a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure. Um... Our book's meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. Sit to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to yourselves. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Bye-bye.